Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Tuesday, the day we look at the hymn for the coming Sunday, and we're going to listen to a little bit of it. Savior of the Nations, come. And that is the first two verses of Savior of the Nations Come. It's a total of eight verses written by Ambrose of Milan. Ambrose of Milan, a very, very important individual, uh, born around 340 in a Christian family in modern Germany. After his father's death, he moved to Rome, received an education, and about 370, he was appointed counselor of Liguria and Amelia. His residence was in Milan, then capital of the Roman Empire. At the death of the bishop in 374, Ambrose was chosen to be bishop himself. Although he resisted the appointment because he was still a catechumen, he submitted. And a few days after his baptism, he was formally ordained a priest and consecrated Bishop of Milan. He continually confronted Arianism and paganism in the civil realm. His preaching was excellent, and his expositions convinced even the skeptical intellectual Augustine, who was baptized by Ambrose in 386. Ambrose died on Easter Eve, April 4th, 397, but he is named one of the four original doctrine doctors of the Western Church, including Augustine, Jerome, and Gregory. His hymnody was mimicked by many individuals, and there are three translations of it. One is by Martin Luther himself. The other is by William Morton Reynolds. He was born March 4th, 1812 in Pennsylvania, went to the seminary at Gettysburg, ended up becoming president of Capital University in Columbus, Ohio. Unfortunately, in 1864, he left the Lutheran ministry and became a minister of the Protestant Episcopal Church, and he was rector there. He finally died in Oak Park on September 5th, 1876. However, the other translator besides Luther, he had translated Luther's German into English, was F. Samuel 
Janso, and a number of us knew him. He was born in 1913, died in 2001, born in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, attended the seminary in St. Louis, and he was ordained, served for 11 years as pastor in London, but then he was called to Trinity Lutheran Church in Minnesota, Trimont, and he served there until 1954. He actually accepted a professorship in English and theology at Concordia Teachers College, River Forest, where he taught until his retirement of 1981. He's best well known for having translated all of Martin Luther's hymns from the German to the English. In 1978, he was appointed on the Commission on Worship of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, where he served with distinction in creating the new hymnals, and he died on December the 5th, 2001. So we've got with us Pastor Mark Smith. Is this a hymn that you enjoy singing, Pastor? Yeah, it's a good hymn. You know, there's an interesting connection. Uh, Luther, don't forget, uh, well, you, you said that uh, Ambrose greatly influenced Augustine, and yes. Luther himself was an Augustinian monk. Yes. And uh, that's probably one reason why he loved this hymn and, and translated it. You know, another connection, another interesting connection, we here in St. Louis, there is a Roman Catholic uh, church, uh, St. Ambrose, that's on the hill. That's in the Italian section of uh, St. Louis community. And uh, it's modeled after the cathedral in Milan. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. Have you ever entered it? Oh, yeah, I've been inside. It's beautiful, beautiful sanctuary, beautiful building, yeah. Wow. Ambrose was a great, was a great uh, father of the early church. We, we owe a lot to him. Well, today we've got a system where we are able to play the hymn ahead of time. Were you able to hear it? Yes, it came out loud and clear. Beautiful. Yeah. Good to have the hymns back. Yes. Yeah, we hope to do that. And... Um, what happened is uh, I bought another computer, and that takes care of the hymn. And then this other computer takes care of the microphone to KFUO. So Great. I've got a table in front of me with all kinds of books. Yeah, Without further I, ado. I know the people, I know the listeners have really missed hearing the hymn, so it's good that we can play it now. You're right. You're right. And because sometimes we don't even know the tune, like last week's. Right. So, All right, Savior of the Nations, come. It's for Advent. It's set up as the hymn of the day for the first Sunday in Advent. And that was Luther's doing, because originally it was really for Christmas. But read the first stanza, and we'll understand why it's Advent. Savior of the Nations, come. Virgin Son, make here your home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord shows such a birth. And what does Advent mean? It means coming. Yes. So, Savior of the nations, come. In fact, um, the Old Testament passage 
is from Isaiah makes it very clear that the people are waiting for the Savior to come. And uh, I'm going to be preaching on that this Sunday because a lot of people don't realize that all the thoughts of the New Testament are also found in the Old Testament in prophecy, and the New Testament, therefore, uh, puts them out as fulfillment. Right. So, Savior of the nations come, virgin son make here your home. He was against Arianism, which taught that Jesus was not God. And therefore, his hymns make it very clear that he did not believe that. And he was very orthodox in talking about Jesus. And he even refers to him as Lord, that he chose such a birth. Yeah, you, you find a lot of the Apostles' Creed right in within this hymn. Excellent. That's right. That's... Uh, um, these are eight verses, and it, we're going to find out it ends with a Trinitarian verse. But why don't you go on to verse 2? Not by human flesh and blood, by the Spirit of our God, was the Word of God made flesh, woman's offspring, pure and fresh. And so that's talking about the virgin birth. And you were right about the Apostles' Creed. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So that's all clear. And he says the Word of God was made flesh. Now, Word of God can mean a number of things. It can mean the words of the Bible, first of all. We talk about it's through the Word of God that people come to faith. But it also refers to Jesus as the Word. And the eternal Word. Yeah, and that's particularly in the Gospel of John. How does that begin? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And nothing was created that was not created by the Word. That's right. The Word, Jesus, was there at the beginning of creation, right? And we know that we're talking about Jesus because verse 14 of John 1 and the Word became flesh. Flesh, and dwelt among us. Same kind of thing that this stanza two is making. So what Ambrose was doing was training the people in understanding the true meaning of the Christian faith. I'll read stanza three. Here a maid was found with child, yet remained a virgin mild. In her womb, this truth was shown. God was there upon his throne. Now, can you explain how God can be upon the throne? Well, the idea, of course, is that, that Jesus, even as he was conceived as that little embryo in the womb of his mother Mary, was, was, he continued to be God. It never ceased to be God, although he uh, set aside his, uh, well, he left his glory and uh, majesty in heaven, but uh, he, he never ceased to be God. He always had the power of God, even as that tiny embryo in his mother's womb. Yeah, you so make God, a God point. was there in the womb. God was there as if he were on his throne 
in his heavenly court. Yeah, you made a point. I said that he did not make use of his divine powers, but he really did at times. It's just that he didn't always do it. But for example, when he stilled the storm on the sea, that was Jesus in his divine power doing that. Other times he thanks the Father for what the Father has done. So it's interesting to see how sometimes he's doing it with his divine power and other times he's not. Yeah. It's it's just it boggles the mind how he never ceased to be God. He was he was eternally God even as a tiny babe. Yes. And when you say that he did not make use of his divine attributes, there were times when in his human nature things happened to him that would not happen to God. Right. He for example, was tired. He felt pain. Right. Uh, he was put to death. He stumbled. He stumbled on the way to the cross. Yes. And he did not know certain things like the last day. Now, all that was restored to him when he ascended into heaven. Right. All right. Stanza four. Then stepped forth the Lord of all from his pure and kingly hall, God of God, yet fully man, his heroic course began. Now, I got a question for you, Tom, right off. Then stepped forth the Lord of Hall from his pure and kingly hall. Is that, that I think, is referring to his mother's womb. You no, know, I you hadn't had, thought at, of that. At first glass, you, you think, well, maybe he's talking about leaving his heavenly father's uh, realm. But I, I think he's talking about leaving his pure and kingly hall, namely the womb that he has sanctified. Wouldn't that's you, would you agree up. or not? That's backed up by the next words. God of God, yet fully man. Yeah, it, it's talking about his birth, I believe. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but I think you're right. Uh, the kingly hall, whoever thought that the womb of the virgin would be a kingly hall, but it was a place where the king of kings, the lord of lords, was dwelling until his birth. So that's a right. pretty good point. Yeah, I hadn't seen that. Now we get into some of the um, Apostles' Creed, etc., if you would read stanza five. God the Father was his source. Back to God he ran his course. Into hell his road went down. Back then to his throne and crown. Now that's that, Apostles' that talks Creed. About, that talks about a lot right there in that one verse. I mean, uh, you're talking about God the Father was his source. He comes from the Father. And yet, and then he he goes back to God. He ran his course, of course, with his uh, his uh, when he said, "This very day you'll be with me in paradise." He was talking about going back to God, and the and the criminal that hung next to him on the cross would meet him there with his father. And then into hell his road went down. That's talking about his descent into hell, and then back then to his thorn and crown. That's his ascension. So you got all that in that one verse. Yes. And again, it's really against Arianism, this false teaching, because God the Father was his source. Remember, we talk about 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in my favorite chapter, Revelation 5, everybody worships both God the Father and his son Jesus, who has ascended into heaven. So stanza five is very apostolic creedal, talking about the various items that you said. Okay, stanza six, please. For you, for you are the Father's Son, who in flesh the victory won. By your mighty power make whole all our ills of flesh and soul. Once more, strongly anti-Arianism, for you are our Father's Son. Now, we're also sons of God, but there's a distinction. Jesus is the only begotten, whereas how are we children of God? We're adopted. Exactly. A really big difference. I'm teaching another uh, adult instruction class at one of the congregations, one of the four that I'm uh, working with in Illinois. And last Sunday, it was our first lesson. And there was a, a lot of uh, insight that we were able to give the individual who was not uh, originally Lutheran, but he said something that I really loved hearing because I heard it from another person that is becoming Lutheran after le listening to Law and Gospel. He said that I didn't feel like the burden was on me anymore. And what yeah. he was talking about is the burden of having to obey the law in order to get to heaven. Yeah, that, that, means, that means the Gospel came through loud and clear from your instruction, Tom. Well... Because it, it, it really impacted on him. He did something before the instruction. Remember, he wasn't Lutheran, and he moved into the area. He read Luther's large catechism. Mm. Went and bought the book and read it. And so one of the things he said, as I was reading this, I did not agree, disagree with anything he had to say. And that was really interesting. Hmm. Boy. All right. Yeah. Stanza seven. From the manger, newborn light shines in glory through the night. Darkness there no more resides. In this light, faith now abides. Now we kind of, it's kind of like the seventh verse you know, this is an Advent hymn. We we treat it as an Advent hymn now, but you've already, you've got a, a note of uh, Christmas, uh, the nativity in that verse. Yes. God cannot speak so we can understand him. So what he does, he uses metaphors and similes with which we are acquainted to try and give a little insight and the metaphor here is the difference between day and night. This is the newborn light. What is the first thing that Jesus created in Genesis 1? Do you remember? Light. Yes. He became the light of the world. Right. And, and he shines in glory through the night. That certainly happened at the shepherds where they heard the angels singing. And darkness there no more resides. 
Why is darkness used? What is that referring to? Well, darkness is uh, it denotes evil. It denotes, it denotes death and, and evil and and uh, and uh, the power of darkness um, ruled by Satan. Remember, they came to arrest Jesus in darkness at the Garden yeah. of Gethsemane, and so yes. He... And I think I think Jesus I think Jesus said, "Now is your hour, the yes. powers of darkness." Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, and now darkness no more resides in this light. Faith now abides. Now that's really an important statement, because in darkness, what abides? Take a look at every other religion in the world obedience is what's supposed to be abiding. But yeah. nobody can be obedient enough, so now instead the gospel shows that we're saved through faith, not through obedience. And that's what takes the burden away, that a person realizes they're unable to fulfill the commandments properly, and they're so happy that Jesus has taken the burden away. Yeah. He is the light of the world. Yes. And his message, his gospel is light too. How so? Well, it it, it lightens our our heart and minds and uh, it gives us, you know, it shows us the way through the darkness. Um it's it's always there to uplift us and uh, and point us to him. In fact, there's a word we use that has the word light in it that often occurs in a uh, catechism of youth or adults is that they are enlightened. Yes. Now, how would you describe that? Well, you know, I always used enlightened, the word lightened, rather than say I feel inspired or I was inspired to write this sermon, I always, I always use the word enlightened rather than inspired because inspire it puts it at another level. You know, the, the the apostles and prophets were inspired. I was merely enlightened by the light of the gospel, by the light of God's word. Boy, that's a good distinction, that we don't create a word of God. We simply share the word of God. And in our studies at the seminary, in our reading of much material, we get enlightened as to what the text really is referring to. Now, that's a point I'm making in my sermons recently, is the English text is not that good a lot of times because there are not English words that can be translated from the Greek that make it clear what it's really saying. And so it's good to have the original Greek for example, I was doing a study on Mark where it says, uh, Jesus and his disciples went to Caesarea Philippi. So you would think that the verb for went would be in the plural, but it's not. It's in the singular. Because hmm. Mark is making the point that Jesus is the important figure. Ah. So it's really better translated as Jesus went and his disciples were along with him. Uh-huh, you're right. But you don't see that in the English, that the went, you assume it's a plural verb, when in reality it's a singular verb. 
Hmm. All right. Stanza eight and why is there a triangle in front of it? This is a, what we call a doxological verse. It speaks of the whole, the whole Godhead, the whole Trinity. Glory to the Father, sing. Glory to the Son, our King. Glory to the Spirit, be now and through eternity. And we usually stand for those doxological verses. Yes. Um, sometimes the organists at one of the churches I attend there's some bells that go on right. that refer people to be standing. I, I've never had that explain why the bells, but it, it's obvious that's what they're doing. It, it marks it as a special verse, right? So looking forward to Advent? Oh, man, I really am. Yeah, even more so than Thanksgiving. I mean, Thanksgiving is great. Thanksgiving is, is a lot of people's favorite holiday, but, oh, I, I just love Advent Yeah, and Christmas. Yeah, I'm preaching a couple of times tomorrow because most people like their Thanksgiving on Wednesday night rather than on Thursday so yeah. they can be home with family. Blessing All right. on your words, Tom. God bless you also, Pastor Smith. Tomorrow, Walther's Law and Gospel. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.